Well, it's good to be here in God's house tonight on this Wednesday evening service here at Porchlight Baptist Church. Glad to have those that's joining us here and those that are joining us online. And uh, it's been a while since we've had a Wednesday evening service. And uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll continue having those. It's time changed and all. and uh, So good time to have Wednesday night service. And uh, we're going to continue through our Romans study series or sermon series. Uh, eventually we'll get through this series. We're in chapter 12 tonight. We're only going to look at the first two verses, though, of Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. And tonight we're going to be talking about several things. The main focus, though, as Paul has shown us here, is about being a living sacrifice. And we'll talk more about that and what that means here in just a little while. But we're going to see several different things in this text. Just these short two verses, we could preach on these for several services. And I know I've preached from this before, but uh, so much in here about being acceptable unto God and uh, how it's our reasonable service and uh, how we need to be transformed by the renew renewing of our mind. And all these things are so much in these two verses. And so we won't be able to hardly scratch the surface tonight, but the Lord willing, we'll get through this the best we can. And we'll go ahead and read our text, uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, start with verse 1. And here the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, service tonight. Lord, we're just praying that you be with us and help me preach. Lord, my, my tongue is wanting to stutter tonight. Would you help get it under control so that I can do some good here? Lord, I can't do anything without you. Please help me tonight. And Lord, help those watching and listening, Lord. May your word go out and do a mighty work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess I need to slow down a little bit. I'm, I'm too excited tonight. I've been working on this uh, message for quite a while. And I told my bro brother Jonathan last night I was excited to preach it tonight. And so uh, you, you pray for me as uh, I try to preach. But here leading up to this point... Uh, well, last time we covered the end of chapter 11. And from chapters 9 through 11, Paul really has had it, had his focus on God's dealing with the, the Jews and also the grafting in of the Gentiles and how those two coexist. And what it all really comes together as being the church. The church. But uh, all through Paul's writings, through the book of Romans thus far, has been about salvation uh, how to be righteous before God, what makes us that way, how to be justified. And so it's all been dealing really with salvation. Well, now that he's got to this point in Romans chapter 12, his focus changes gears. It switches over to how we are to live once we've been saved. And we often refer to that as our sanctification process. Uh, and Really, it's, it's, a, it's a process that every Christian has to go through. Now, certainly we're sanctified immediately, immediately upon salvation. We're sanctified. We can stand before God uh, justified. However, there is an ongoing uh, sanctification process, which the Bible speaks of many times. Uh, Paul being really probably the one that wrote about it the most. Uh, 
And uh, it's something that we all have to go through, or we should be going through, should I say. Well, as we look at verse 1 here in Romans chapter 12, Paul uses that familiar term there, I beseech ye therefore. Paul, out of all the gospel writers, he's not a gospel writer, he is, he's writes about the gospel, but he's not one of the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writers, but out of all the writers in the New Testament, uh, Paul uses this phrase more than any other. Uh, I beseech you. That word beseech means to implore, and it, it has an urgency behind it. It's not just a, well, I hope you do this, but he's saying I urgently implore and plead with you to act upon what I just said. That's why he says, therefore. So everything that I just said previous to this, you can start in chapter 1, work your way all the way up to 12, and, and Paul will be saying all these things that I've just related to you. Therefore, he says, I beseech you, I urgently plead with you to act upon these things. And so because of what I just told you, in other words, concerning everything he said in this letter, concerning salvation, and uh, God's dealing with the, with the Jew. But really, the focus could go back to the last verse of the last chapter we, we were just in, 11, where it said in Romans eleven thirty six, For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So if we would, as a Christian, would focus upon the truth that Paul told us there, and he urgently beseeches us to... Therefore, act upon that. And what is that? That's telling us that everything's of God. God created everything. He created it for himself. And it's to glorify him. And it says it's of him. He did it. It's through him. It's only through him that anything happened. And it's to him. In other words, it's for himself. And he said, uh, and to whom be glory forever. And so God does things that glorifies himself. And if we as Christians would keep in mind of everything being of him and through him and for him, then we should want to act urgently upon that because we want to be pleasing to the Lord. We ought to be. Uh, this message Paul's preaching is an urgent message. All Paul's letters are urgent. There's nothing that Paul ever wrote that was not urgent. Uh, he was always going, pressing toward the mark. And uh, running the race. So everything was very urgent for Paul. And not only was it urgent in the day that he lived, but it's urgent in the day that we live. And I'm afraid that we have gotten way too lax as a church, as Christians, as those that live in this so-called free uh, world that we live in now, the, over here in the United States. We, I don't know what we've done. We've become lethargic. Uh, things are not like they used to be, but boy, we need to get with it. And, and that's just the truth of it. We need to see this same urgency that Paul saw about sharing the gospel and seeing that, that people understood it and would come to the knowledge of Christ. You can look around you right now, and I'm not trying to be crass, but this world is going to hell with the pedal down. They're hellbound with the pedal down. And listen, it don't take you long to go out into public and you'll see that most of the world is lost. Most of the world is going to hell. And if they don't get saved, that's exactly what's going to happen. And so this urgency is for now. It's not, well, one of these days or 
eventually or sometime. No, it's it's a message for now. It was a message for Paul at that point, and it's a message for us at this point. Now, most people believe the world's going to keep on going. Most people don't have a a clue, or they don't believe that the world is ever going to end. They think that they're going to live forever, and uh, they don't have to worry about anything. Well, I want you to know that this world is not going to last forever. The Bible tells us that one of these days, God's going to burn it up with fervent heat. And uh, this world ain't going to last long, and uh, we need to be with it. There's absolutely nothing left on God's timetable that has to take place for him to rapture the church out of here. Nothing. I mean, he's fulfilled everything he needs fulfilled here. Now, I don't know how many more people that he intends to save before he raptures the church. That's He's the only one that knows that. The Father's the only one that knows, the Bible tells us. No man knows when, when the Lord's going to do that. But listen, most people just go about this life carefree, don't, don't think a thing about it. Listen, we need to uh, understand that, that uh, time is drawing near. And I've said this a lot, but it's a lot closer now than it was yesterday. It's closer now than it was last week. And so we just don't know what's going to happen. So what do we do in the meantime? We worry. We worry about the pandemic. We worry about our 401ks, which are dwindling. We worry about the war in Ukraine. We worry about, now they're worried about this global warming saying that, uh, you know, the cars need to run on batteries. It, it costs more and is more energy tied up into making batteries for cars and maintaining them than it does for gasoline. Uh, these people are completely crazy that's pushing all that stuff. And uh, But that's what everybody's worried about. Nobody's concerned about salvation. Nobody's concerned about the gospel. Nobody's concerned about living a righteous and holy life. Nobody's concerned about what God thinks. That's obvious. Uh, but we as Christians, we better be concerned. And Paul goes on to say that he calls them brethren. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. This term obviously means brother. That's the definition of brethren. Um, of course, there are times when it's used in an ethnic group sense, such as the Israelites were Paul's brethren because he was an Israelite. But the majority of the time when the Bible uses the word brethren, it's referring to Christians or those that are saved. And we call each other brothers and sisters. We don't say brethren. You know, I, I call everybody I know that uh, in church or preachers and stuff, brother. Uh, brother Jonathan, I, I call him that all the time, but I don't call him brethren. He's brother, brother, brother Jonathan. And I'm brother Byron. And this is my wife's sister Mary. And so uh, we call each other that because we belong to the same family of the Lord. We're all Christians, and so we all share a Christian family together. So in the next part here in the verse, he says, by the mercies of God. God's mercies uh, really it's, it describes his love, uh, his graciousness, his extravagant grace. Um, that's what his mercies are. Paul is often described as the apostle of grace. You know, John's the apostle of love. Uh, but uh, Paul is often referred to as the, the apostle of grace, and there's good reason for that. First of all, he implies such. He says that God made him that way. Acts 20 and 24, the Bible says, But none of these things move me, neither can I myself, my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus 
to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was teaching and preaching grace. You see, all before all this, all these teachers that came along, they were teaching law. Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, all law. But when Paul came around preaching the gospel, it was a gospel of grace. And it was tough for a lot of people to believe in it and understand it. They'd never heard such things. This was wild teaching to them. You mean to tell me there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy? What about law? What about punishment? Paul says, well, listen, there's grace through the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has given me to you, word. So Paul says, the Lord gave me this office of being a, a preacher of grace. And so also Paul begins and or ends every one of his letters with grace be unto you. Grace unto you. Uh, that's, that's Paul's trademark. In fact, there's a place that Paul writes over in Ephesians, which is one of our favorite verses, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 8, where Paul tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is to get to God. So if you think about it, grace really is the most important thing between us and God. If it were not for God's grace, we could not be saved. If it was not for his grace, we would all go to hell. And so really grace is the most important thing when it comes to God, to man. And he continues in, in verse 1, get back to Romans 12 and 1. He says, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. So he says we're to present our bodies. He didn't say God's going to come along and take your body. God's going to come along and urge you to do this. No, he says you are to present your bodies. So to present something means that you're offering it. You're freely displaying it. You're, you're giving it away. You are presenting it. And so it's something that you must put forth effort to. Uh, there's a lot of people believe that you get saved and the Lord just does everything for you. Have you ever saw somebody say, well, you know, I got saved and I don't really know what God wants me to do, so I'm going to sit right here on the pew and wait for him to tell me. And there's some people that, that go through their whole Christian life doing absolutely nothing, waiting on the Lord to tell them what to do. Well, you know what? He told us what to do. All you got to do is crack open this book and read it, and he'll tell you what to do. So, listen, to present something is our giving it, offering it. It's another term you could say offering. And so what he's telling us to do here is present our bodies a living sacrifice. And I titled this message tonight, A Living Sacrifice. And that's what the focus is that Paul has on this. All through the, the Old Covenant, the Jews that he's been dealing with all this time, they were under the law, and by law, they were prescribed to offer up a dead offering. Bulls, goats, sheep, lamb, ram, whatever it was, pigeon, it was to be dead. So they would bring a dead animal to present it for the Lord, to the Lord. Well, that was under the Old covenant. Well, ever since the Lord Jesus came, there's a new covenant. He no longer wants 
your old dead things. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Again, which I believe Paul wrote, the book of Hebrews. You don't have to believe that if you don't want to, but uh, I fully believe it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. You see that? Already we've learned something here. Paul writes here, or the Hebrew writer writes about under that law, that all that was doing was a shadow showing what good things were to come, but that those dead sacrifices could never, they could offer it every year, all the time, continually, but it would never make them perfect. It was impossible. Verse 2 says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? So if they offered something and it made them perfect, then why would they need to go offer anything else? It didn't make them perfect. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But they did, didn't they? So they got their sins blotted out for the time being because they brought a sacrifice, but they still went on sinning. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there's remembrance again made of sins every year. Every year, those sins are back. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou had, hast had no pleasure. And so when the Lord Jesus came, he offered a body, his own. He was the final sacrifice that was needed to cover sins for all men, all women, from eternity past, present, and future. One sacrifice, and that was it. He has no pleasure in your dead sacrifice. So Christ being the final sacrifice was a living sacrifice, but he went on to live. After he sacrificed himself and was buried and rose again the third day, he was a living sacrifice at that point. Now, us, as Christians, Paul wrote that, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. So that means that we are to freely give of ourselves to the Lord everything. The Bible says that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Once you're saved, you belong to the Lord. You're his property. You're his possession. He bought you. And so you really don't have the rights to your own body. You're just on borrowed time here. The Lord owns you. And so we are to be a living sacrifice. That means we are to yield ourselves as an instrument of righteousness. Now that's where it gets tough for us. And if you remember when we were back in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul spoke about this. Romans 6 and 10. The Bible says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed unto sin. But, here's the key, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, 
but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And so the Lord expects us to live a holy and righteous life. He expects it of us. It's not a question of, should you, or possibly. No, the Lord expects us to live a holy and righteous life. And, by the way, Paul says it's it's our reasonable service. He says it's our reasonable service. What does it say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Service, So it's not unreasonable that we should live a holy and righteous life. Not at all. Now, of course, since we're carnal and fleshly and thoughts and minds and actions are thinking, we've got a tough time living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, we battle with the old man. Well, Brother Byron, I thought the Bible said that old things passed away and behold, all things become new. It does say that. But that doesn't mean that old man is not still down in there battling. You will battle with the old creature the entire time. And the Bible speaks of that. And so we've got a tough time trying to please the Lord and live the way that we ought to live as long as we're allowing certain things into our life. And we will stumble and we will fall. And the Lord, with his grace and mercy, forgives us and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he is grace. He has grace and mercy upon us. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you got lost every time you sinned, I'd get lost every day, several times a day. <laughs> and so I'm thankful for the Lord's grace and mercy. Uh, right quickly, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at verses 7 through 12. This again is Paul. And he's writing to the church at Colossae. And he's telling them about good things that he's heard about them uh, from someone named Epaphras. Look at it there, Colossians 1 and 7. It says, As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being faith fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Here Paul is listing seven things he's been praying for the people of the church to have. These are, are fruits of righteousness is what he's praying that they would have. He, he listed off seven things. Look at it, verse 9, filled with the knowledge of his will. If we were filled with the knowledge of God's will, we couldn't go wrong uh, if we obeyed it. Verse 9, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, that's one thing we're lacking today is spiritual understanding. You can tell that from the shape of churches today. Walk in some churches and you don't know if you're in a church or a nightclub. And so there's no spiritual understanding. Verse 10, he says, to walk worthy of the Lord. We all want to walk 
walk worthy of the Lord, don't we? We sure don't act like it because we don't. Verse 10, fruitful in every good work. You know what being fruitful means? It means you're producing something. I planted a bunch of things in a a greenhouse here a few weeks ago. Got tomatoes and and, um, peppers and jalapenos and uh, different things that I'm growing in there in in a little greenhouse. And I'm seeing those things now producing. They don't have fruit on them yet, but they're producing leaves. And so something that's that's alive and growing and performing the way it's supposed to will start producing things. And he, a Christian should be producing good fruit, fruit unto the Lord, fruitful in every good work. And so the things that we're doing for the Lord, they should produce some kind of fruit. Verse 10, he said, increasing in knowledge of God. Well, I tell you what, there seems to be a lot of people that don't have any knowledge of God. They claim it's okay to do this and okay to do that. Claim to be a Christian, but they don't have the knowledge of God. If they did, they'd know it wasn't right. We'll talk about that more in a minute. He said in verse 11, strengthened with all might. Uh, That's one thing we need to be as Christians is strengthened. Now, there's a bunch of weak, spineless, jelly-spined Christians running around today. Won't stand up for nothing. Uh, let anything go. Listen, we need to be strengthened with all might. In verse 11, he said, unto all patience, long-suffering with joyfulness. And look, <laughs> when you start praying for patience, look out. Because you know how you get patience is when you go through trials. That's how you get patience. But Paul says he's praying for that for them. Unto all patience, long-suffering with joyfulness. Uh, sometimes we're very short on suffering. We start suffering and boy, we want out of it. Paul says, I pray that you all have patience and long-suffering and do it with joy. (laughs) So there he lists seven things that a Christian should do when offering themselves as a living sacrifice. That's what we're talking about here, a living sacrifice. How do you become a living sacrifice? Well, it's by obeying God's word and what he says. These things that Paul was praying for this church to have, those are the things that we need to have. And it's not unreasonable that the Lord would expect that from us. Our problem is knowing how to live this way. Well, fortunately, Paul tells us how to live this way in our next verse, back in Romans 12 and 2. He tells us exactly what we need to do. You see, when you don't understand something about the Lord, you need to look in the Word of God and find out what He says about it. Too many people will look at a verse and they'll get confused about it, and then they'll wander around and say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. I don't know what to do. Well, keep on reading it. Pray about it. Meditate upon it. Look at it and examine it. Paul tells us in the next verse how that we can be a living sacrifice. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here Paul is cautioning us not to be conformed to this world. Now, this is where things get ugly for a lot of people. To be conformed means that you have allowed yourself to become like something else. Here, that something else is the world. In other words, you've allowed the world's habits, the world's culture, the world's desires, the world's beliefs to become your habits, desires, beliefs, and culture. And you became happy with it. 
fine with it. That's the way you're living now. You've adopted the world's ways. That means you've been conformed to it. There are so many Christians today that are conformed to this world. The world's ways, the world's thoughts. And uh, I tell you what, friends, it is so anti-Jesus. <laughs> Anti-Christ is what it is. Let me give you some examples. Now, these are going to hit close to home to some people. And if the Lord convicts you over something that I'm saying here out of his word, then so be it. The world says it's okay for a woman to murder her baby inside of her womb. The world says that's okay. They even passed the law. That's okay. They, we've got women running around today proud that they murdered their babies. Getting on national television and bragging about it. And I even heard one actress said that she... Uh, aborted her baby, and she was glad of it, proud of it. Well, listen, there's a lot of Christians today that also believe that it's a woman's right to murder a baby in her own womb. They've conformed to the world's thoughts, the world's ways. Look, murdering a, an innocent, unborn baby is the most unchristian and ungodly thing you could ever do. You couldn't do anything worse. And so many so-called Christians have conformed to that way of thinking. They need to have their minds transformed. Here's another one. This one's going to get me kicked off Facebook. The world says that same-sex relationships are normal and accepted. Again, in this country, we pass laws saying that it's okay. You cannot watch television now without every commercial Every television show has to include that disgusting filth. Now, I can give you the names of people that I know that claim to be Christians and go to church on a regular basis, if not every time the door is open, who say that they are for same-sex relationships. I know some that's even walked in the pride parades to support their friends that are gay. Listen, this is conforming to the world. This is not of God. This is completely against everything that God teaches us in his word. But yet Christians, if they're Christians, they say they are. I can't question that. They're, they're in sin if they're supporting this. They have conformed to the world. They need their minds transformed. And let me give you this last one. The world says, who needs marriage? We can just shack up together, live together. We don't have, that marriage certificate doesn't mean anything. We just do whatever we want. That way, if anything happens, and one of us can just leave. We don't have to worry about getting divorced and all that. And there's many people who claim to be Christians, and they're living in that lifestyle. They've allowed themselves to be conformed to the world's way of thinking. And uh, I tell you what, friends, it goes completely against God's plan for marriage, God's plan for how men and women are to live together. Ever since he created Adam and Eve, his plan was that a man and a woman would be joined together in marriage and holy matrimony. And so these are just three examples that I have jotted down here of how Christians are conforming to the world. Well, listen, Christians need to have their minds renewed. 
They need to be transformed. And so we've got to be very careful not to allow the world's influences to conform us. In Paul's day, they lived in the Roman culture. If you study Roman culture, you will find that they were some of the most wicked and evil and sinful cultures that's ever existed on the face of this earth. They were as bad, if not worse, than, than this world is now. They were wicked. And Paul had to deal with this. All kinds of sexual perversion, disgusting things that they would do. And Paul dealt with this his entire ministry. And people that lived in those Roman cities, those uh, providences, they lived in a culture that had allowed the, and had allowed themselves to be conformed to it. Many of these being new Christians had been brought up that way and were conformed to it that way. But Paul's cautioning them, don't you be conformed to this wicked world. You need to be renewed. You need to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what he says. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Now that word transformed right there means to be turned into something totally different. Now how many of you remember the Transformers? My son growing up, that was a big thing back in, in that day. Uh, they started out as toys. Transformers. You had, uh, what's their names? Uh, Optimus Prime, Megatron, Bumblebee. And these were robots, but you could take and push parts of them together and, and push the flip things down, and they completely transformed from a robot into a car or a truck or some other object. And they called these Transformers. I remember the little song, Transformers, More Than Meets the Eye, Transformers, Robots in Disguise. They made movies and cartoons and everything about them. But that's what we as a Christian need to do. We still live in this same physical body. But our spirit, our thinking, our thoughts, our mind needs to be transformed from something completely different. It needs to go from that wicked, uh, carnal, fleshly thinking into holy, righteous thinking. And the only way we can do that is if this mind is renewed. You know what it means to renew something, don't you? It means to make it new again. Renew. It's what it means. Redo it. Make it new. Brand new. That's what these minds need. Transformed into something brand new. And we got to start thinking a different way. We can't think the old way. We can't think the sinful, carnal way. Our thoughts have to change from what they used to be. We can't expect to think in a carnal, sinful way and be pleasing to the Lord. We can't expect to, to allow things into our thoughts and our, our minds and our daily activities and routines. We can't expect to allow the world's influences like that into us and still be pleasing to the Lord. We cannot do that. And, you know, I've, I've heard one of my greatest irritations, I've sat under a lot of preaching and I've heard some get up and say, well, if you were truly saved, you wouldn't think that way. That's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in there. There's no wonder there's so many discouraged new Christians. They get saved and they hear somebody say something like that, and they think, well, why in the world can I not be holy and righteous like that preacher pretends to be? Uh, look, we have to start thinking a different way. Um, it takes effort. It's not just something that's going to come naturally to you. Sure, there. I mean, when you get saved, you you the Holy Spirit's guiding your life. He's putting information out there for you. You're now receiving signals from Him showing you right from wrong and things you shouldn't do. 
but yet your carnal mind is still trying to hold on to the way that it used to be and do ungodly things. We're just prone to do that. It, it's natural. It's the natural man in us. But we've got to allow the new man to surface. We've got to allow these minds to be transformed. And the only way we can do that is if we have new minds. We've got to get rid of the old minds. We've got to renew them. And so it takes effort to transform your thoughts and think a different way. The reason we are to do this, Paul writes here in our text, in the last part of verse 2, is so that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it is God's will that we live in a way that's pleasing to him. It's his will that we have our minds transformed. It's his will that we uh, have our minds renewed. And so we can't conform to the world and think as the world. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8, 5 and 8, 5 through 8. He writes, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, Brother Byron, we live under grace, and Lord understands that I like to do this, and, you know, he don't, it, he'll forgive me, and it'd be all right. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Lord expects us to live in a way that pleases him. And it says right here in his word that if we're in the flesh, that means living worldly, sinfully, carnally, fleshly, we cannot please God. It's impossible. Don't think you can live in sin and still be pleasing to him. You can't. It's his will that we transform these minds into a more Christ-like mind. By doing this, we'll be bringing forth fruit. We've already been mentioning it, fruit unto God. And we studied back in Romans chapter 7. We'll be finished. Romans 7, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes this. He said, Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. You see, one thing you'll understand when you read God's word, we have a choice. We have a choice to live in the newness or a choice to live in the oldness. It's our decision. If we want to be pleasing to God, then we'll decide to live for the Lord in a way that's pleasing and fruitful, bear fruit in newness of spirit. If we don't care what God thinks, we'll just continue living in sin live in a carnal way, in a fleshly way, in the oldness of the letter. That's the only, the only thing you can do. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. I gave this illustration several times because I remember it very well. I probably wasn't but seven or eight years old. I was falling around my papa, Lauren Chesney. And he had a bunch of land up behind the house. He kept cows. And he had electric fences all over his property. I hated electric fences. 
But I was following him around one one day, and we was up on the hill in the cow pasture. And he walks up to the fence, and he wasn't real tall. He was, I think, five foot six or something. He was real short. But he was tall enough where he could throw one leg over the top of the electric fence and throw his other leg over the other side without touching the wire. And me being around seven or eight years old and much shorter, I thought I'd just do the same thing he did. And if you know anything about electric fences, they usually have metal posts with these little uh, insulators that hold the wire. Well, I walked over to that electric fence. I grabbed the metal post, slung my leg over, and sat on top of the electric fence. And I went for the ride of my life. And I got shocked, and I was, I was hurting, and I fell on the ground with that fence shocking me. And it finally, I guess it stopped. I don't remember what happened. All I can remember is my grandfather standing, looking at me and going, ho, 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 ho. That shocked you, didn't it, boy? Listen, as Christians, we think that we can straddle the fence. We can throw one leg over into the church house, the other leg over into the smut house, and still be pleasing to God. It doesn't work that way. We cannot please God as long as we're living in the flesh. And so Paul here in our text in Romans 12, what he's trying to show is that we are to be a living sacrifice. Every day we need to get up, put on that armor if you have to, put on the pieces. But we need to think before we do anything, before you you start to do something, think, is this what God would be pleased with. If I do this, would this displease God? If I watch this, if I listen to this, uh, if I do this action, if I do what these people ask me, is this going to be pleasing to God or is this something that I just want to do in my flesh? Because it's if it's from my flesh, it's not pleasing to him. That's not being a living sacrifice. You might as well be a dead one. All right, well, we're going to stop there. Lord willing, we'll pick up Sunday on the next uh, few verses there. And talking about uh, service, uh, with uh, Christian service. And uh, hope this has been helpful to you. And uh, I've, been, uh, I've been in this, uh, this study all week long looking at it and thinking about it, praying on it. And I know there's a lot of people, and myself included, I can do better. I can really do better. Uh, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. And let's just try to live life pleasing to the Lord the best that we can. And be thankful for his grace and mercy, but let's not, uh, let's not pervert it. And let's be thankful for it. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight thanking you so much for the message. Lord, if it's not helped anybody listening, it's helped me. Lord, I pray that we'll always be pleasing to you and living in a way that you would have us to live. Lord, I know we fall short so many times. I am thankful for that grace and mercy that you bestow upon us, Lord. Thankful for your love. Lord, thankful for your salvation. Lord, please forgive me for the times that I fail you. Lord, help us, Lord, just to do better. Help us be able to reach people that are lost. Help our church, Lord, be better. Lord, help us as Christians be better. We thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. 
For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Amen.